Hello, it's Jeff. Just before we get to the show, just a friendly reminder to hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app so it's downloaded and ready to go. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Let me start with a thought from the mind of our special guest this time, and that is this. Our sex energy is our life energy, and it's meant to be expressed and cultivated without shame, taboo, or stigma. She's talking our language, evidently, and she's talking from experience and education and a background in psychology on her way to becoming a certified sex coach and sexologist under the American Board of Sexologists. She credits every sex-positive educator for her understanding of this big, beautiful field of conversation, which has led her to her latest publication, A Guide to Healthy Relationships. Welcome back, sex and intimacy coach, who can be found at serenahaines.com. Serena Haynes. Hello, my darling. It's so nice to see your face again. Serena, who are your clients? Who do you speak to? Yeah, well, everybody. Um, honestly, though, Jeff, mostly men come in and uh, 80% of those clients are men and they come in and all I hear in not so many words is, what is happening? There has to be more. What am I missing? So... That's generally what I get. I think the the language is changing a little bit. The scripts in, in, in society are changing a little bit where men are wanting to come out now and they're wanting to, to know why is, you know, maybe why is she so mad at me? Why are we not having enough sex? Why am I not satisfied? I get that one a whole lot. Why am I not satisfied? No matter how much sex I have, I'm never satisfied. Right. And there's so many things behind that from, I always hesitate to say like porn consumption. I always hesitate to say it because it makes people think that I'm against it, but that's not it. I think it's just the concept of we have to practice the way we play. You have to practice how you play. And sometimes if you're practicing, not how you play, you have a really hard time in the game. Our masturbation habits and what we do when we're by ourselves and how we find our desires and how we cultivate those within our own bodies, within our heads, within our minds, it matters so much, you know, and like on the surface, if you're, if we tend to watch porn and we love our porn and we're watching, I don't know, let's just be silly. Let's say we're watching always sex on the ski hill with, you know, group sex on the ski hill. And then we're in bed with, you know, our one partner maybe, and we're finding it really hard for those fantasies to kind of fuel our bodies, to fuel that desire that we have, then I, we have to sit back and say, well, how are we practicing? Because if you're masturbating, you know, once, twice a day, once a week, whatever it is, those are the habits that you're creating for your desire to find pathways into your everyday life. So why wouldn't you then try to maybe find something that maybe it mirrors your life a little bit more? I've had some people come in and I'll say, you know, well, what does your partner look like? Do you want to give me an idea of what your partner looks like? And you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, maybe they have nice large breasts. And I say to them, you know, well, maybe you should find some mommy milker porn. Like maybe you should find what you have at home instead of looking at something with maybe small breasts or whatever the opposite is. You know, it doesn't really matter what it is, but whatever you have at home, try to find something that you can replicate that in your practice when you're by yourself. Some people have a really great time when they, you know, they go off into their fantasy world and that is their fantasies and their desires get to be kind of played out for themselves and they have no problem 
going back home, let's say, quote, home, or to wherever their regular sex is, that's fine. But if you do feel the challenge, if you are having trouble settling into what you have at home, then think about how you're practicing. You know, I have, I'm I'm in the world of sports a lot. So I hear, you know, you can't go out and practice like a Sunday afternoon practice. You have to practice the way you want to play the game, right? If you do that, then you'll be set for the game. So I've kind of used that then in, especially talking to a lot of men, they can get the sports reference where I say, you know, you practice how you play and you're going to have a lot more success in the bedroom. And then that anxiety that comes up. How many men do I see come into me lately with performance anxiety and just not feeling like they are, you know, working at their best? I have 35-year-old men coming in and talking to me about how they're broken and how they have erectile dysfunction and and all of these things, which is not the case. It's just they've programmed themselves in such a way that they have such high expectations of themselves when they get person to person that it's a really it's really hard to to help them get there. Tell me this cuz it seems to me that ED happens to many when they get so inside their oh, yeah. head. They're thinking more than they're feeling and there's a correlation Serena between that and 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 being a musician. It's about the mm. feel more than the thinking about the thing. And when you can sit down behind a drum kit for example and just and just play by feel or sit in a room with a partner and just play by yep. feel rather than by thought, right? Give me give me some of your insight around yeah. some of that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, sex has traditionally been an act, right? It's a thing that you do. And in my world, and I think in your world as well, it, I want to get people more wrapped into sex as a feeling. It's a place that you go in your body, not in your head. It's the sensations that you have. It's the feeling that you can create either by yourself or with another partner. When you have your eyes closed and you're really slowly touching a partner's body for no other reason other than an exploration, a pleasure hunt, if you will, your body starts to react to that in a different way and your partner's body starts to react to that in a different way. The The idea that that sex is, is a performance is the biggest problem that, we, that we're facing when it comes to a lot of people and and settling our minds because our minds are always racing. We're either, you know, looking at seven second clips on our TikTok or whatever. Our attention span is gone. It's gone. It's disappeared. I feel like there's a, I feel like it it stopped with like Gen X, like our, our attention span, I feel like might be okay still, but there's a certain amount of people that that attention span isn't there. So I say, you know, if you can slow down and just touch, get your head out of it completely and just kind of feel where your body wants to go and go on a little hunt. It doesn't have to be the proper technique to do the thing to get to orgasm. No, let's just take orgasm off the table for a second and just increase the idea that pleasure is what you want to have, that that connection is what you want to have and just see where your body goes and just follow that flow. I want to get into, right not right now, but I want to tease the fact that we're going to get into fantasy and the role of fantasy in uh, in relationship and, and improving pleasure and sexual satisfaction by use mm-hmm. of fantasy. So hold that thought. Put a pin in that, as my Take friend Sarah Silverman says. Before we do, gosh, you made me think about creating the environment that is conducive to having this more feeling, less thinking and more successful connection sexually between you and a partner. One of the things, put on a chill playlist, uh, whether you follow Spotify or Apple or whatever, and it just sets the mood. Because sometimes quiet 
is alarming to people and they definitely start thinking too much maybe get naked and be under the covers and then eventually you're hot and the covers go flying and you're out of your minds and you've stopped thinking and you just started feeling you know everything that we do i another one of the things that i really want to start educating people on and changing reframing for people is that you know we were kind of taught in the sex ed that we all would have gotten that foreplay is what happens before sex right and then sex is intercourse but Sex is everything that happens from the moment two bodies erotically connect in any way. It can be that first glance, you know, when you're physically together, everything that happens when you're erotically connected, when, that, when you're physically together and then the foreplay, that begins as soon as that sex is over. And that continues until you physically become erotically connected again. So everything in the middle from, you know, whatever it is, helping out with the chores or sending the texts or sending the flowers or sending a really nice note of gratitude or giving a little kiss on the neck or whatever that is, that's the foreplay. That's going to bring you into that. And it's going to help you disconnect from your brain a little bit when you get into those moments because you're not thinking of going from A, B, C to sex. You're kind of thinking, oh, this is it. And for those of us that have challenges, let's say with erections or maybe vulvodynia where, you know, a lot of people have a hard time with insertion. It hurts their vulva for any insertion. Taking the intercourse out of sex can expand your sexual wellness because everything else you're doing is still sex. Everything from makeout to the end. The sex can start with that car coming up the driveway that you know that they are in and they're coming to meet you or vice versa. That hug that says hello, every bit of it can turn you on and get you ready for for the next thing. Sex for some of us can be endless kissing. Some of us can orgasm. Absolutely. Men maybe don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Slow slow it down. down. We stop breathing when we Mm -hmm. get excited. And that's what causes you to to, to come early. So you have to breathe through it and sometimes deep breathing. Really? Some people say think about something that's not sex, but it's that's not, not the same. You don't want to be out exactly. Of you don't want to be out of it completely, but, right? You want to like stay in the moment. We do have a pleasure scale. I do recommend that people, you know, if they find themselves again, this goes back to practice how you play though, Jeff. Like it really does. When you're masturbating, when you're doing those things, practice edging, right? Practice edging yourself. Bring yourself up to that like eight out of 10, seven out of 10, you know, on the pleasure scale, right? Just before you want it, just before you feel like you're going to come, bring yourself back down and then breathe your way through that. The worst thing we can do is tense up our bodies and think about like grandma in her underwear. I mean, that brings you back down to zero. Nobody wants to go back to zero. We want to live in that area of seven to nine, right? On the flip side of premature ejaculation, It's delayed ejaculation or delayed orgasm. And that reframe being, if you can live at nine, nine and a half on that pleasure scale for an extended period of time, do you know how lucky you are? Instead of saying, I can't get there, I can't get there. Well, honey, when you get there, when you're at 10 and you've come, you're making a sandwich, it's over. Who wants to be there when it's over? You want to live in those moments, right? So practice, practice that, use your breath. When you feel yourself hitting that seven, eight, nine level on your pleasure scale, ease back. Don't think about hockey. Think about your fantasy. Think about your desire. Practice being in that heightened state of arousal continuously. 
even maybe still touching yourself, but at a slower pace, at a different pace, taking really nice, big, deep belly breaths, allowing that pleasure to just course through your body and then start again. And that's going to help you when you're in that moment with this beautiful person that you love with their beautiful body. And you're just so excited to, you know, get into all those moments. You're going to have different skills in your toolbox, basically, to be able to help yourself slow down. And if you know your partner well, Mm. work to have them come. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's get you one now. And then proceed. And then breathe through it. And then eventually you can take your own when When you're you're ready, ready. when you're both ready as a couple. But it's good to kind of plan to your point about uh, how how long do we have? And and if we have unlimited time, well, that's Mm -hmm. wonderful. But some people have jobs and kids uh, and things to do. But, But actually think about how long you have and actually base that edging and how much you bring yourself close and bring yourself back on how much time you have. It's a wonderful thing as well, Serena, and I don't know if people talk to you about this, but it's prolong it to the point that I know we're going to be together later today. Mm. Maybe I'll say, as a man, maybe I'll save that climax for the last time we're together today. It's a Saturday. We're going to be in and out of the house. We're going to be in and out of seeing each other in the morning. Maybe I'm not going to come. Maybe I don't want to be tired all day. Maybe I'll save that one for later when we yeah. get together. So, you know, a little bit of planning goes a long way. You don't have to, you don't have to blow your load. <laughs> you can, you can save, planning isn't, isn't a bad thing. You can still be spontaneous yeah. in the planning, but give it a Absolutely. Especially if you are the type of person, like you said, you just touched on great points is that when you do ejaculate, if you, if you do feel tired after that, if you do feel like, you know, some people get energized after they have orgasms and some people don't, you just need to know your body. You need to know your partner in those moments as well. So if that's something that you can do, then yeah, I think that that's a great idea. A- another little point on that though, if just out there for the guys with the penises, if you take some time and edge yourself and then plan on working on your partner for a little while to give them their orgasms and your erection disappears, don't panic. That's another thing I get. Jeff, I get a lot of guys coming in and saying, you know, I'll do that and then I'll go down on her for a little while, but I lose my erection. And I'm like, okay, but if you give it a second, it'll come back. But it's like, it's like so many people think that as soon as you're hard, you have to stay hard the entire time. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't have to be, if you are great, good for you. But if you're not, it can be an ebb and flow. I mean, ask any woman out there, we can feel the increased pleasure of our orgasm building and then it just disappears for a little while, but that doesn't mean it's not going to come back if you give it time. But what happens is that we get all up in our heads, right? That's when that performance anxiety comes in and you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? This is the 30 year old men coming into me, 35, telling me they have erectile dysfunction. I'm like, baby, you don't. It's okay. Everything is working the way it's supposed to work. You just have such high expectations on your performance that you're not allowing yourself any space to feel the expansive pleasure that you could have over an extended period of time. Serena, your guide to healthy mm. relationships, seven chapters. It's the sort of read I think as I'm reading it should be mandatory in sex ed <laughs> classes because what's more practical in life, if not trigonometry, than topics like intimacy, trust, confidence, empathy, boundaries, pleasure. In a minute, we're going to get to to fantasy because it's really my favorite subject. I think it plays such an important role between two people, particularly in long-term relationships. But I want to ask you this first. 
What is it that most inhibits people's ability to effectively communicate in a relationship? What stands in the way? Of well, that? fear of judgment is the is one of the biggest one of the biggest things that stands in the way, right? I mean, we think we just have these narratives of what we're supposed to want, like desire, how we're supposed to talk to our partners. And that vulnerability, that's a really, that's very vulnerable to come out and, and really tell somebody what you love, what you want, how you want to feel, especially if it's anything outside what quote the norm is for most people. So to have that uh, trust in your partner and to have that trust in yourself that what you're saying is is something that you feel deep in your soul. I think that's the, one of the biggest inhibitors for people to communicate. And if you don't broach it, if you don't bring it up, if you're uh, if you're worried about judgment, if you're worried about being shamed, if you're worried about being left, yeah. that happens. You want yeah. what? You think what? I had no idea you thought and wanted and desired mm-hmm. these things. I can't believe it. And and you're worried about them running away. But what are you going to do? You, you're going to let fear rule that and, and you're going to stay in a thing that you're not allowed to right. be you? I yeah. Mean, that's, that sounds, that sounds It does terrible. sound terrible. There, there's, you know, there are limits to people's emotional availability when it comes to things like that. And, and we have to be aware of our partners as well. You know, if I was in a, an extremely conservative relationship and out of nowhere, I came to my partner and I was like, Oh, Hey, by the way, I want to have group sex. And I also want to like date four or five different people, like out of nowhere. You know what? I have to have some compassion for that other person to be like, this is coming out of the blue. If there's something that you want with your partner, take the baby steps. You have already thought about this for six months, a year, two years, 10 years, right? You've had these conversations in your head for a really long time. Having compassion for the fact that your partner may be hearing this and feeling this for the first time is imperative for effective communication. Understanding that they're going to need more time. That is as, as you know, gung-ho as you are, like you're, you're chomping at the bit to kind of get something changed. You're like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm, I've, I've rallied all of my, my bravery and my courage, and I'm going to do this. You're not, you may or may not be met with the answer that you want, and you may have to sit then and wait and have a lot of patience for your partner. It's a really great point about and it's kind of like feeling it yeah. out. You're already apprehensive about telling them. So then bringing them all of that information about what's in your head is a lot at once. And it may, it may backfire. Leave yeah. the room. If, if, if you're talking about something that's important to you, start with a thing that's really important mm-hmm. to you. may not be group sex. Right. Start it slow. Be like, you know, else. baby, I'd really love to maybe watch some porn together. Or, you know, maybe you watch yours and I watch mine. And we come back and we talk about what our favorites are. You know, like you have to, you have to be the, the guidance for your partner. Maybe they're going to come around to all of these things in your head. So it's giving them time to come to terms with their own beliefs and wants right. and desires, which may be aligned with yours. You don't know until you and, have a lot of time. And they and sometimes they don't know. I mean, sometimes the idea is that um, you come to your partner with something, the immediate response from a partner when they're hit with something new is, oh, I'm not good enough. You've been thinking of something other than me. There's a lot of fear, right? A lot of jealousy. It's kind of like, well, you know, well, if that's what you wanted, have you been thinking about this for a long time? Is everything that we have a lie? Is this not, 
what you want right now. So just understanding that right away, they're going to just feel this, um, this rejection that they haven't had to feel, right? They've really thought that everything was perfect and, and this is the way things are going. Now, all of a sudden they're hit with something brand new. It just makes you feel a little bit low. So we want to have empathy for that as well. One of the ways you can approach something with your partner when you have this sort of feeling they might be afraid is just to say, I want to talk to you about, because I want to know your mm. thoughts around, because I like the way you think about, you know, it's, it's almost like saying, it's almost like giving them absolute permission and complimenting them because you do actually like the way their mind works and you do like when they express themselves and you do want to know right. what's in their head so you can both grow together. So there's a way of setting things up rather than blurting out whatever the thing you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of this? I always tell people, you know, use an article, use Serena, the sex coach, use, you know, Jeff Woods radio, use whatever you need. Like I heard this on Blue Hotel, use something as that mediator, right? Like that middle ground. Hey, did you know that? What do you think about, did you know that Serena Haynes talks about this kind of thing, you know, and you know, to go a step further you know, hire me. I'll do it. I can be, I can be your third. I'll That's be your third perfect. any day. Speaking of which, you mentioned uh, men prevalent mm -hmm. coming in to see you, to, to talk to you, to, to be counseled, to be uh, given insights, to, you know, uh, give them greater lives uh, in terms of pleasure and communication with partners. It's all growth and learning. Couples too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you speak yeah, to? couples yeah. too. Why do you think that men are quite prevalent at this it's point? It's interesting. It, at this point, it's always been funny enough. Even when I first began doing this almost 10 years ago, it, it's always men who, who are a little more open to come in and talk about these things. Women have been socialized to not think that we're supposed to like sex. And if we don't like it, that's normal, right? But men are socialized that if they don't like sex or something isn't right, that they're broken. So they're much faster to come in looking for the help than the women. Women will just stay silent. They just, they don't think they're even like, if I have a woman come into me at 35, 40 years old, who doesn't want to have sex, she's like, oh yeah, that's normal. I'm not supposed to. I've had three kids. I've been married for so long. Women don't like sex. I go, no baby, women do like sex. They like sex a lot. They don't like shitty sex, but they really like sex. But men, the moment that something doesn't feel right, they have been given permission to feel like there's something wrong if there's, you know, if there's something on the go. So they will come in immediately and they are usually the ones who will bring their couple in. So it's, it's, you know, a man will reach out and say, this is what's going on. I really want to bring my wife in. We'll have a conversation. The wife gets to meet me. She realizes I'm not going to give her husband a hand job. And all of a sudden she feels comfortable coming in and having those conversations as well. <laughs> Back it up. I, I didn't understand that. What was that example again? A lot of women won't come into me. They really think that my job is to just have sex with their partners, right? That's not right. That's oh. not my job. I have a lot of compassion for that as well. My my field of work isn't so mainstream that people understand what we're doing. I don't use the word. I don't use the title therapist. So it does have a different idea. When people hear the word sex coach, mentor, you know, things like that, a lot of times they're like, well, you know, men will reach out a lot and, you know, are, can we do one-on-one? -on -one? Like, will you actually help me do the thing? And I'm like, no, sweetheart, I've, it's talk therapy. This is talk therapy. We work through the issues. But women feel a lot of um, 
a lot of nervous energy. There's a lot of fear that there's going to be another woman in the room and that there's going to be other things going on. And as soon as they meet me, I mean, you know me, as soon as they meet me, that is not the case. And then the women just crack open and, you know, those relationships bond immediately and it's fantastic. But it takes a second. It takes a second for women to want to share their secret, quote, secret personal lives, their secret sex lives that is so shame shroud in a woman, the way that we've been socialized. It takes them a minute to want to actually share that with another person. I sometimes think that the thoughts in our heads are sometimes best left in mm. our heads they're also uh, really effective when you share them with your partner. It, it's a device, it's a tool, it's a way to open each other up without actually having to go out right. and do it. Um, it's like a careful what you wish for. But sometimes talking about it can be part of the whole uh, lead up to both of your orgasms and, and, and greater pleasure. Talk mm. about what people talk about with you when they come in and talk to, to you as a coach as a therapist about fantasy? Is this something that comes oh, up? Oh yeah, in it does. But you know, I, I wish more people did think like you and understand that sometimes it is best left in your head because so many people come in and they're like, oh, well, this is the fantasy I have and I really want to make her want to do it. That's generally, that's generally the way it goes. It's not generally her coming and going, I want him to do this thing. It's the opposite. But the, the thing is, you know, not all fantasies need to be acted out. The desire that you have, like if you were my, my client and you came into me and you said, you know, I really, the most common, the most common, I want to have a threesome. Okay. A, question A, how's your relationship? How's the foundation? Three things are not going to fix your relationship, my friends. A dog, a baby, or a threesome. They're not going to fix it. They're not, they're, they're going to make it okay for like a minute and then other things are going to come into play. Okay. You need to have a really strong foundation for a lot of those things. But when you come in and you say, you know, I want, how do I broach the topic? I want to have a threesome. I want my partner to come on board. I say, okay, is it that you actually want to have that threesome or do you want to share this desire with your partner and have that an exciting moment between the two of you? What is the reason? You know, and there will be an array of reasons why people want to bring somebody else in. And yes, there is a small group of people wanting to bring another person in because the relationship they're in right now is pretty much over. And that's a moment that that's a moment for true counseling that we really need to talk through. And it's kind of, they feel like it's their way out, their only way out, their only way to get some satisfaction. But most of the time, it's just the desire that's in your head. And you want to have that between partners. So I say, you know, have you talked to your partner about that? Well, no, my God, no, if I bring that up. And I say, yeah, well, if you bring it up and you say, I want to bring a third in, that's going to feel, that's going to bring up a lot of fear in your partner. But if you say to your partner, hey, I have this fantasy that lives in my head. This is how hot it is. Can we, can we, I like to give people tangible ways to do it. If we're in couples counseling, I say, I want you to text your fantasies to one another. Because sometimes it's really hard for people to use their voices. A, some of us don't sound as sexy when we open our, open our mouths as we do in our own heads, right? So sometimes you can say something in your head and you're like, oh, God damn, I'm so sexy. And you say it out loud and you just, you, you don't like the way that it comes out at all. So I say, well, text it to your partner and say, you know, I've always fantasized about, you know, sometimes when I'm by myself, I think about you and I doing. Include your partner in that as well. That's a key. 
is that when you're talking about it, don't just talk about the third you want to bring in. Talk about the way you want to interact with your partner in that triad, let's say, if that's the case. Because if not, your partner's just going to feel like a prop to your own fantasy. And you really want to have that be a container for both of you to enjoy that erotic play. The greatest sex organ is your brain. And therefore, what's in your head that you share with your partner can be really a huge turn on. One of the ways some people do it, tell me a Mm. story, and then you get to talking about, just tell me something you did. It can be real. You don't have to name names. Or it can be something of a fiction that you've made up. Or it can be a combination of both. Or tell me a lie. And somebody will say, what do you mean? You want me to lie to you? No, no. Tell me something you did, but you didn't really do. But it's a fantasy in your head. Just anything. And then say things like, there's no wrong answers. Like, you can't offend me. You can't can't surprise me. You can't shock me. I just want to know what's in your head. What was your last dirty thought is another yeah, one. And then you can say, it doesn't need to involve me. Right. And you don't have to name names. It doesn't have to be Billy from mm-hmm. the office. Just just say, oh, there's this guy I was thinking about. Or there's this girl I was thinking about. Giving each other permission to share fantasies, yeah. then not uh, demonizing them or getting upset that at them. That is such a good point, right? Because this is the thing. We can lay that out. And is that not just such a tricky slope to be on? So, you know, if you are going to ask your partner to tell you something extremely vulnerable about themselves, that they're going to maybe talk about another person, another, you know, another version of a lover that maybe that they want to be with, that comparison can be really, really hard to hear. But understanding that, you know, they may have comparisons, but let's be real, you do too. You're thinking about something, you know? So we can't, like you say, you can't demonize somebody else for their for their for what happens in their heads. People come to me all the time and they say, Oh, um, I don't like that this is usually women. I don't like that he's fantasizing about somebody else when we're having sex. Like he's told me that sometimes he fantasizes about somebody else. And I'm like, Well, but he's there with you, right? It's not, it's not a, a it's not a, a he's not completely blocking you out. It it happens the other way. I actually encourage it, especially with women who have a hard time getting into what's happening and getting out of their heads. And it sounds counterintuitive, but to kind of get into that fantasy in your head, imagine yourself in a fantasy and then allow the person that's with you to touch your body and do the physical things and allowing your head to go somewhere else so that you can you know, settle in and, and let your body react properly. But you ha- we have to be really careful to accept anything that comes out of somebody's head and to lay the foundation before we even start speaking about it that, you know, make sure you have the conversation with your partner that fantasy is just that. Fantasy does live in our heads. It's okay. Like have those conversations before you before you smack it in the head with, you know, like I really want to fuck Sally from the office. Like make sure that they know it's not in real life, but it is in my head. And I think it's really hot that we talk about it using, I, I mean, I love using porn, erotica, any sort of reading to, to extend that for, for your partner when you're talking about fantasy to say, you know, oh my God, I read this thing today, or, you know, I saw this on, on, on the porn and it it doesn't have to be real. Like you said, it can be a little fib. Maybe it is in your head, but you kind of transition it into, I read this one time and it really turned me on and then see what, what happens with your partner. I love a little yes, no, maybe game to talk about 
your fantasies, you know, like we have like lists, it's like a hundred different things. Like, yes, I would try that. No, I don't want that. Maybe I would to open conversation for people who really need that third party involved in order to keep it really neutral. So you each have your little yes, no, maybe game. And then you get to talk about what you like, what you don't like. And then the maybes and those maybes are really fun. Those are really fun places. What do you mean? Maybe, what do you mean? Maybe you want to get peed on? What do you mean? And then all of a sudden you have these conversations about what, what is it about that? That makes you feel good. Is it the heat? Is it the taboo? Is it, you know, the trust that you need to have in somebody to, you know, do some of these fun, super amazing things (laughs) all the time. So yeah, there's a lot of things that you can do. Let's talk about projection and let's talk about the Mm. past. What gets a lot of people in trouble is when they do share things about their past that happened before you showed up Mm -hmm. on the scene, to demonize, to to be upset by what they have done in their Mm -hmm. past seems to me to be the most counterproductive and unfair treatment of a person. Talk to that because you must you must have people come in and and and, and yeah absolutely that. I've personally experienced that in my life if I'm being completely honest I mean on both sides I'll you know I wasn't always the person that I am today if I was to tell you that 15 years ago I got mad at my husband for getting a lap dance at a at a strip club you wouldn't believe it right we all change we we grow and we do those things but this is it when you know somebody's past is it creates who you have now fallen in love with if that's the case or who you were with it creates the person who's in front of you in that moment we have to sit back and say you know whatever that was whoever you were with or whatever that act was or whatever i'm feeling insecure about because that's all it is is a projection of your insecurity right what is it about that insecurity that is really making me, or what is it about that story that's really making me feel insecure right now? And then have that conversation. Because here's the thing, somebody can have a past. We cannot like hearing about it all the time, but until we use our words like grownups and we say, listen, the reason I don't like hearing about that trip that you went on to Spain and you were with all of those women is because I don't think that I'm ever going to live up to that idea that you have. And it makes me feel really insecure when we're together. Now that's out in the open. Now something new comes up. If your partner continues to bring it up, you need to have a different conversation because they're bringing something up they know hurts you. But you've put it out there and you've said, you know, there's a reason for it. It's not that I'm angry with you for having slept with, you know, 4,000 people. Is that something that you still want and you're longing for and I'm not able to give it to you? Having those conversations about your insecurities is going to be really important when you're sharing like the past, those projections and, and everything else. Here's a question that uh, some people are confronted with and they don't know what to do. They panic or they lie, Mm. (laughs) neither of which are are a great way forward. And the question is this, uh, it's more of a statement, I guess. I don't know that I'm enough for you. People say that to their partners. What do you do if asked that? What, What do you think I need? Like, what is it? What, what do you mean you don't think you're enough for me? Like I, You need to explain that to your partner a little bit more. If my partner came to me and said, I don't think I'm enough for you, I would say, well, in what, in what capacity, right? Here's the bittersweet answer to that, Jeff, is that we're not going to be everything to everybody. We're not going to be everything to our partners. And that's a really hard thing for so many people to think about, especially in our default monogamous society, where 
that one partner is supposed to be your lover and your friend and your confidant, your financial advisor, your best friend, your adventurer, everything. So what do you mean you're not enough for me? What need do you see in me that you think that you can't fill? And then we can work through that, right? I mean, maybe it's just something small that we can manage together. Maybe it is something big, but that's a really vague statement to make. And a lot of the time when we make vague statements toward our partners, it's because we're looking to, oh, this is going to be dicey one. This is going to be controversial. It's because we're looking to hurt them in some way. And we're looking to get a reaction out of them. And we're looking for them to validate us in some way. So we need to be clear on what we're asking of our partners. And the partner in response needs to pause and ask, as you put it, for some clarification around that. What is it you mean by that? What are you thinking? Where where does that come from? Let's talk about it calmly and, and dig into it. I don't think I'm enough for you. So vague. What do you mean? You don't think that I'm a good lover. You don't think that you're, um, you know, is it, is it the lover side of it? Is it the friendship? Is it the adventure? Is it the, you know, financial security? Is it safety? Is it trust? Like what, what is it that you think you're not enough of? That's an insecurity that your partner has. So we need to sit and say, okay, are they projecting in order to get validated? Okay. So that means there's hurt inside of them somewhere. So that compassion that you have is going to be really important in that moment to sit back and say, there's more to this. Nobody really just looks at a partner and says, I don't think I'm enough for you. And let's talk about shame. Mm. I've learned in my life at this age, through my experience that uh, I've got no shame. <laughs> shame is a waste sure of time. Is. Um, you know, you try to improve yourself and you try to make better decisions and you try to be kinder and you try to just be a better human being and you try to be more communicative and with your yeah. partners and all the people yeah. in your life, in business, in family, in love. But to feel shame, to be shamed, to, to shame yourself and to let other people shame you is a complete and entire waste of time. Talk a bit to shame and and the role it plays in what you see when people come in and it Mm -hmm. comes out. Yeah. So, you know, very deep inside, we've been taught that shame makes us a good person, that we're supposed to feel bad about good things, certain good things, right? So the shame, we hold on to shame for kind of a bittersweet reason or a counterintuitive reason. It's, you know, we think we hold on, some of us hold on to shame because we can't let go. There's trauma. And I understand that that's a little bit different, but some of the ideas that we have around shame is that, well, if, if I don't feel shame around this, it must mean that I'm a bad person, right? So we actually glorify feeling that that shame around certain things, which is what we kind of have to start dismantling and, and allowing ourselves permission to feel pleasure and allowing ourselves permission to be who we are. When, when people come into me, most of the things that I see wrapped around shame are um, a reluctance to admit that they have desire at all, period. And most of the time, that is women who will come in and they're reluctant to even admit that they want sex. And then the men in, in, the, in our lives that come in are reluctant to admit that they want something outside the box. 
women as well. But, you know, again, like I said in the beginning, men have been given more permission to extend their fantasy and extend their desires than women have. So it's just kind of the way that we were socialized. Breaking down that shame, it it starts, in my office anyway, it starts with just using your words. Use your words. Talk to me and stop sugarcoating things, right? Just say it out loud. I want people will walk in and I'm the one saying all the bad words, talking about sex openly. This is what we do in my office. We do some relationship. We do a lot of relationship stuff too, but it really does all center around sexuality and your sex lives and your intimate lives and how things are working. So there's no sense in us sitting here and saying, you know, when we do it on Friday nights, I go, oh, when you have sex, say the word, say the word sex, right? Like let's give you permission to actually start talking about it in the beginning. The shame that we feel around our fantasies, around all of those things, they're slowly dismantled by just giving permission and having somebody in your life, you know, a professional or a friend or a group or a, 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 a you know, a partner that you can say those things and not get the reaction that you've been told that you're going to get out of them, right? So allowing that safe place for your partner to come to you and say anything. And when you develop more trust in your surroundings, you develop more trust in yourself, then that shame is kind of, some of it kind of just dissolves around you. So many people just deny themselves the pleasures in their lives. And it's not just sex. When when you talk to people who are not having the most pleasure-filled sex life that they want to have. Some people are not having a pleasure-filled sex life and they're perfectly happy. So that's great. But when they're not and they want it and you ask them about other, other parts of their lives as well, you'll hear that they deny themselves pleasure in other parts of their lives as well. Biggest transition that I have with women is when I tell them this is going to sound so out, out of, you know, out of the world, what we're talking about, but When I talk to women and I say, hey, when do you eat dinner? And most women who are mothers, right? Because I have couples who come in who are mothers and the long-term relationships. And they say, well, I make sure everybody has their dinner up. And then I sit down and I have my dinner and I say, oh, have you ever imagined eating dinner first? Have you ever imagined putting your plate up first and sitting and then allowing your family at a certain age, everything's age appropriate, and have your family do their own thing. And you sit down and you have a hot meal and they're like, oh my God, I mean, I could never... Permission, permission for pleasure. It's not set. That's not sexy, but it's giving yourself permission for pleasure. That's giving yourself permission to ask for a need that you have. And then all of those little tiny moments transition into the bigger things in your life. How do you accept a compliment? Can you accept a compliment without, you know, without shame? Can you accept it, you know, without having to be modest? Can you just be outwardly like, yeah, I'm fucking gorgeous today. I know, right? Like we need to be able to do that instead. So allowing ourselves more pleasure in other parts of our lives, it translates into how we have sex and how we relate to our partners, how we relate to our fantasies, our desires. We've got to drop the martyrdom in our lives and we have to just start being a little selfish for the things that we love. Back to practice how you play. It takes practice to ask for what you want. Ask for it in other places. Ask for your mashed potatoes to be done the way, exact way you want them at a restaurant. Ask for, you know, a certain thing from your partner in in the house that has nothing to do with sex. But really put yourself out there with your, quote, selfish needs. Oh, God forbid. Put yourself out there because then when you're in that moment in bed or whatever it is and you've practiced how you play, you can say, oh, baby, you know what I really love? 
I love when you are sucking my nipples while I'm coming. I love when you talk me through my orgasm. I love when you finger me while you're going down on me. I love when you stroke my, you know, you stroke my shaft and have your mouth. Like you can say these things out loud and you know that it's so true on the inside of you that that there's no way anybody can be offended by it because that there's no intention there of offense. So it comes from a really beautiful, pure place. You're really good at this. What's your understanding of how uh, porn preferences have changed based on what people bring to you? Yeah, well, <laughs> lots. You know, I tell people all the time, and it, it sounds so vanilla in certain in certain worlds, but you know, I watch girl on girl porn exclusively, exclusively. I am the straightest woman that you will find, right? Like, I love a woman. I, I think women are absolutely fucking gorgeous. But I, I love a dick. I tried it, right? And I'm like, eh, it should have lived in my head. Tried it, went there, and I was like, oh, damn it, you don't have a dick. I don't know. This is not, I don't want it anymore. Like, it was different. But you're right. So you know what I find that's coming into my office a lot are straight men watching gay porn or watching trans porn and feeling a lot of confusion around their feelings because they're thinking, well, does this make me gay? And I tell them my story all the time, which is why, why I prefaced all of this with that, is that, no, it doesn't. It just means that there's something that you really love watching and it gives you this beautiful sense of desire and passion and you can play forward with that. Now, is that going to practice how you play if that's not where you're going with your partner? Probably not, but I feel like that's something that can be separated a little bit easier, you know, because very, you know, speaking in very binary terms, if you are heterosexual, you do want the opposite sex. You do want those body parts. That's what's going to get you juicy. That's what you want. But in your head, I like to tell people, especially when they're looking at same-sex porn of themselves, there's, there's a component to watching bodies participate and get turned on, and it's the body that you have. So you can feel, right, in your fantasy, you're feeling what that could feel like on your own body. It's one of the reasons why when I watch heterosexual porn or any porn with penises in it, like, I don't know what a dick feels like. I don't know. I don't know what it feels like for you to be pleasured. I know what it feels like on my body, but I don't know what it feels like for you to be pleasured. So when I'm watching another woman get pleasured, I'm like, oh, girl, I know what that feels like. I know. I know. It's really good. And that's the moment. That's how I like to help that those people transi- transition their their fantasy, their like get out of that shame to kind of think to yourself, no, you, you're looking at things that are making you feel a certain way. Just roll with it. Right. Other than honestly, other than that, there isn't a whole lot of uh, porn fantasy that come into my office. I'm not going to lie. Well, this then the other side of that coin would be, okay, you like to watch gay porn. Let's go deeper on that. It's my belief. And I've started writing the book, my second book around bisexuality. It is my belief. Take away all of the conditioning of our lives that was, you know, focused around blue versus mm-hmm. pink and uh, boy on girl, girl on boy versus same sex. Take away all the conditioning. And I really do believe that there's a lot more bi people yeah. out there than, uh, than is reported. Here's a friend of mine. I'll, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine said that um, he's on Grindr and, uh, you know, the, the gay dating app, but not just gay, gay, uh, bi, non-binary, mm-hmm. 
um, anything goes in there. Uh, couples seeking men, couples seeking women, uh, women seeking couples, men see everything that can <laughs> happens on Grinder, and uh, and he said that a, a guy reached out to him. Of course, no no face pic. Discreet was sort of the the theme of his, which is a lot of the time uh, by men or or men that identify as um, straight just want to suck cock. And then so he was propositioned by this straight guy who wants him to come over and fuck his wife. And and he said, I'm in a relationship too, and I'm bi and my wife's bi, so I don't step out and fuck couples. But if you were both bi, we could get together and play the four of us because she likes girls and I like guys. Do you like guys? The guy that, you know, because he identified as straight. Well, there's cuckold too. You want to see guys yeah. fuck your, your, your wife and there's a turn on there. But he wanted to go deeper and he had a feeling that maybe this guy was bi. So yeah. he asked him, are you bi? Well, sometimes I play. <laughs> um, is that with your wife present? No, sometimes one-on-one outside of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So what he said was, well, so she doesn't know. No, she doesn't. Well, I think your first step would be to come out to your own Mm -hmm. partner and let her know that you want guys to come and fuck her because not only do you get off on it, but you kind of want to be with the guy too. So there's a lot of layers there, I understand. My point is there's way more bisexual men for sure. I mean, all men assume women are all bisexual. (laughs) It is is funny. (laughs) What is it that they say? Like even all spaghetti is straight until it gets wet? There it is. I love that, right? (laughs) But we both know that not all women are bi. It seems more women perceived as bi because they go to the bathroom mm. together and they and they and they hug each other more than men, you know, allow themselves to do. Um, let's talk a bit about bi, as you uh, understand it, anecdotally from the people that come in to see you, without naming names. <laughs> I can name. Um, I can't. I cannot name the names. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of research around it, and it is my belief, and always has been that way more guys are, are buying yeah. deep down and they're just hiding it out of great fear from the social conditioning. Huge. Yeah. And that, that's the point, right? Is that it's the social conditioning and it's the, it's the fear and um, the stigma around being gay, which we need to just obliterate. Right. I mean, my goodness, it's 2024. It's time for that to be completely gone, but right. it, it's an identity crisis. Right. As would anything, honestly, as would anything from going married to divorced, all of a sudden your identity is shifted. Who am I now? I'm not so-and-so's wife. I'm not so-and-so's husband. It's an identity shift. So the same thing is happening. You've gone your whole life hearing that all of these are, you know, bad things and there's so much shame around it. And, and, but you have this, so now you've been holding it in for a really long time, especially if you are a person who feels like you need to hold it in. There was a reason for that. There was something happening in your environment that, created this, you know, this push down of who you really were and the fear you had of kind of coming out and being exactly what you wanted to be for whatever reason. So we need to, first of all, you know, break that, that stigma down and just allow people to create a new identity for themselves and to be able to say that my sexual orientation doesn't define who I am as a person. It, it, it doesn't have to be a set definition. I agree with you 
that, I mean, and so does the Kinsey Institute, but you know, like none of us are truly, there's such a low percentage. Like, I think it's, I can't even give you the percentages. I feel like it's like 0.0000 something of anybody who's truly gay and truly straight. We are all on that spectrum. And that just, and it goes to show when it comes to the porn preferences, the, you know, fantasies that you have in your head, that any of those things, it does relate to your sexual orientation. So maybe the more we talk about and the more we say things like, well, if you have same sex fantasies, then there's part of you that, you know, really does like that. And it kind of eases ourselves out of that true binary so that there's a little bit more of an exploration mindset rather than just this like set in stone. No, this is who they told me I had to be in order to be a man. I had to just like pussy, you know, like that is not the case, sir. That's not the way that that goes. I think that if more men could appreciate what it meant to have an expansive, more expansive desire and more women could accept that more expansive desire, then we'd be in a better place. That's the other side of it is a lot of women then will get their knickers in a knot, if you will, if their partner comes to them and says that there's going to be any difference there. It's the comparison. Many men, I mean, my goodness, how many men, if I can, if I went to my husband right now and I was like, I'm bi, he'd be like, cool. Right. Guys are like, oh yeah, cool. If she, if she wants somebody else, that's great. You touched on earlier something that Esther Perel always talks about. The antithesis of eroticism is familiarity. When you know absolutely everything about your partner, how erotic right. can it be? There has to be there has to be something of a mystery. There has to be some mystique there. Yeah. I think. Talk to independence and togetherness and the balance of that between couples who survive. And it's absolutely and imperative. It is imperative to have your own, your own fill in the blank. Honestly, it can be your own uh, friend group. It can be your own hobby. It can be your own, whatever it doesn't, it, there has to be something that detaches you from the relationship. The formula that we like to use is attraction plus obstacle equals desire. If there is no obstacle, and that obstacle doesn't have to be, you know, completely overwhelming, but if there is no obstacle, the desire dies. Love, love lives. So as, you know, you mentioned Esther Perel, she's she absolutely fuels a lot of the work that I do as well as many, many, many people in the world. You know, love craves closeness is what Esther says, right? Like we want to know everything about the person. We want to feel that intimacy. We want to feel that vulnerability, that trust, that safety, all of those things but the closer and closer and closer we get to people, the less and less the unknown comes in. The unknown is where eroticism lives. And this can be, it doesn't have to be just with relationships. I like to tell people, imagine the last time you went on a vacation or you just went to a new city just for the weekend. Part of the excitement of that is not knowing the next street, not knowing the person in the grocery store, not knowing where your hotel is. That's what drives me. I love that. Now I know there's going to be some people that come out and say, no, no, no. I love my itinerary. I know exactly where I'm going, exactly what I'm doing. I get that. But a lot of us thrive on that adventure. That sense of the unknown is so important. I like to tell couples who have been together for a long time, you know, if, if you want to start peeling away the closeness, which sounds so counterintuitive, but peel away your bathroom time, brush your teeth separately, Put your makeup on separately. You're going out for a date. 
one of you gets ready in one room, somebody else gets ready in another room, if that's, if that's possible, or at different times, get ready and meet somewhere. Take a different cab. If it's financially possible, take a different cab, show up at the restaurant at a different time, sit at the bar and meet your partner there. Create some space in your life. Go out with the boys, go out with the girls, allow that time to miss your partner. You know, distance creates that, that sense of desire for your partner and you need it, right? And we also need to be able to see our partners in those moments, the perception of our partners to be seen through a lens that is not just your own. When you see your partner being seen by other people doing their thing, you're like, oh, that's a completely different version of who I get at home. And you know, that's really erotic because it's unknown and I don't know what's going on there. So I really do. I'm I'm a huge advocate of creating distance, (laughs) as as funny as that sounds. It brings about desire, hunger, yearning, longing, all these things. Curiosity. If you're not still curious about something that's going on in your partner's life, even after 40 years, you know, like create some sort of curiosity. Where were you today? And then there's my little voice that says, tell me. Um, <laughs> tell me what you did. Oh, you did? Oh, Naughty little thing. Um, <laughs> I am that. I keep up with you, Serena, by visiting serenahaines.com and by following you on the socials, Serena Haynes. And fans of anal will be pleased to learn that you are behind Sex School Presents All About Anal Sex with Serena Haynes with classes that include a Blue Hotel sponsor in Oasis Aqua Lounge. Go online to find out more about it, serenahaines.com, for where Serena is teaching people how to have greater pleasure and communication in their lives. Anything to add? No, to that, thank you. That was absolutely delicious. <laughs> Thanks for being part of the Blue Hotel yes, once thank again. you for having me anytime. She did it right at the Blue The Blue Hotel Podcast, just about every Thursday at midnight Eastern. Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share, repeat. Thank you. Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.